So, folks, good to, good to have you here. I know you're here for different reasons. Um, we're going to talk about the, the subject, are you ready to multiply? Let me tell you a little bit about who I am, what I do. So, my name is Al Yano, and uh, my wife Paris and I have been in ministry for over 30 years. It may be hard to believe that, right? When you look at me, you're thinking, no, no, this guy can't be more than 35. But uh, thank you. Yeah, I age well. Thank you. But uh, my wife Paris and I, we were, we've been involved, most of our ministry has been involved with youth uh, and inner city ministry, 28 years. Uh, we did a nonprofit, and from a nonprofit in an urban area of Youngstown, we launched a church, multicultural church in the inner city. And, uh, and then I came on staff at the Ohio Ministry Network to run the Ohio Church Multiplication Network, which is the church planting arm of the Ohio Ministry Network. And I, I kind of did that because God put this word in my spirit. When John first asked me to lead that, I said, no, I don't think so. I, I was so engulfed and enthusiastic about what the Lord was doing in Youngstown. I could talk to you all day about Youngstown because I love my city. I was so consumed there. I was like, no, I don't, I don't want to leave this place. But then when John said, and, and this is the thing, when John asks you to do something, you do it. So he asked me to pray, and I prayed. And I, my prayer was really, God, uh, can you please give me some really good lines, like a couple lines that I can share with John so I could be really nice in saying no. That was my prayer, Lord. Help me to say no in a respectful, honorable way. And God put this word, this question in my spirit. He said, well, do you want to multiply? And, and I thought to myself, what? Now, in fact, this isn't even in my notes. I've got to share this. This is part of my story. Is that okay? Can I share this with you? All right. So, like, I have a real burden for urban, urban ministry. And I, and I feel like, and, and don't take me wrong, but I feel like in many ways the Church of America is not concentrating enough on our cities. So you've got millions of people moving into our cities, and yet we're planting churches all around them but not in them because that's hard work. So I went to my leaders, and it's real funny. I went to John and Jim last year, and I, I put together a strategic plan on how to be more engaged with the cities of our state. And the Lord kind of downloaded it in my spirit, and I wrote this strategic plan based upon 10 cities uh, in Ohio. So I wrote it up, and I, I just shared my soul with them. When I left that meeting, I kind of felt like they were like, like stroking me, saying, hey, that's, that's, you've got a great heart. God bless you. And then I walked away saying, hey, I did what I was supposed to do. So long story short, John makes this phone call to me, asked me to become the church multiplication director. I start praying. God puts this question in my spirit. Are you ready to multiply? I start thinking about that plan I wrote. Open up the scriptures to the, to the parable of the talents. You guys know that parable, right? But for some reason in Luke chapter 19, I never saw this. I, I remember the parable of talents like you've been faithful with 10 things. I'll give you more, right? So Luke 19 reads this way. You've been faithful with, with a little bit. Behold, I will put you in charge of 10 cities. I read that and I was like, ain't no way. I read it again, 10 cities. Well, I had written this strategic plan about planting churches in 10 cities in Ohio. And then God said, do you want to multiply? So I had to answer the question. That's how I ended up becoming the, exec the executive director of Ohio Church Multiplication Network. And we have a strategic plan to reach every community in our state that does not have an Assembly of God or Pentecostal church. 
and many churches in 10 strategic cities. So that's my role. So let me talk to you about multiplication real quick here. I gotta, I gotta move, but see this apple. Now this apple is a fruit, amen? And it can be used to consume and to nourish a body. Now the church is the body of Christ. Oftentimes when God gives us his fruit, we take the fruit and we utilize the best resources and the best that God gives us to nurture and nourish our own body. But if I were to cut this apple in half, there's probably five seeds in here. And I take those seeds and plant them in the ground. You know what's going to happen. A lot of fruit, multiplication, an orchard. So both I can nourish my body and I can nourish a lot of bodies. So the challenge of multiplication is, will we allow ourselves to be cut? Come on, somebody. Will we allow ourselves to face the pain and the struggle of what it takes to deny ourselves so that we can invest in someone else and in something else that's bigger than us and, and get to experience what it truly means to be fulfilled? Because when God asks us to sacrifice, He always gives us more. And so that's what multiplication is about. So I wanted this thing to remind you of that. So let's talk about that. Are you ready to multiply? And uh, let's, uh, utilizing that illustration, there's two great mandates that God gave us in His Word. And the first one is the mandate to multiply. That's found in Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 through 28. God created mankind in his own image in the image of god he created the male and female he created them and god blessed them and said to them be fruitful and multiply fill the earth and subdue it rule over the fish of the sea the birds of the air and every living creature so everything that god created he cre he created to multiply every living thing that's the gift that god gave us so the, the concept i want us to be thinking about is a mandate to multiply. So like a tree doesn't have to force fruit to happen. God created that tree to produce fruit. So you don't see trees going, and the fruit comes out. They don't have to do that. It happens naturally. Well, if every living thing God created, he created naturally to multiply, wouldn't that mean with with every disciple of Jesus. A natural part of discipleship would be to reproduce another disciple. So when I talk about discipleship, yeah, sure, I talk about growth and all that, but at what point are we truly a disciple of Jesus? Well, I would say that point when we reproduce another disciple, right? So when we talk about church, I believe that God wants every church to either be consumed with itself, and it could be a nice, healthy church, or to do whatever it takes to make sacrifices, plant seeds, and multiply. I think that's what God wanted His church to do. Now, I ran a parachurch ministry. I ran a nonprofit, and I believe that a faith-based nonprofit should do the same thing. Everything God creates should multiply. So that's what I want you to think about. The, God, the mandate to multiply, and then, and then the second one is not working. Oh, the mandate of the gospel. We know Matthew chapter 25, right? These things are really important because I think sometimes when churches and leaders make 
vision statements and, and put together strategy, we get confused uh, mandates um, with choices. <laughs> so I hear people say certain things like, well, our, our church is more this way, but we're not really into evangelism. You, you cannot not be into evangelism. That's bad English. But you understand what I'm saying? It's a mandate. It, there's nothing, you know, my wife is doing foster care ministry. And when we talk with churches, you know, her line, and it's very true, is, look, Pastor, I'm not here to ask anything from you. I'm here to resource you to do what God has mandated you to do. I don't want your money. I don't need your time. I don't need your people. We just want to help you do what God mandated the church to do, take care of orphans, right? So, and then certain pastors will say things like, well, we don't do orphan ministry. Mandate's a mandate. So the gospel is a mandate. Now, the reason this is important is that if we're going to multiply, we need to do it the way God mandated us to do it. So when God gave the gospel mandate in Matthew chapter 28, He didn't just give a gospel mandate. He commissioned them with a gospel strategy. And that gospel strategy could be found in Acts 1.8. You shall receive what? Power. So that's God's source of power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Did everybody get a paper, by the way, and a multiplication thing? Okay. So you see when he gave them the gospel mandate, he also gave them a gospel strategy. He said, here's how I want you to do it. Start in Jerusalem with your own people. Expand it to Samaria, those that you're uncomfortable with. Come on now, because Jews... And Samaritans, you started with yourself, but you don't end it there. You go to Samaria, you go to, you go to Judea, and you go to the other most parts of the world. So God's strategy was there. And, and when you work the strategy, and, and, and let me just pause right there, that when you work the strategy, naturally people got saved in the book of Acts, right? God gives them this strategy in Acts 1.8. They go to the upper room, they pray, they get baptized in the Holy Spirit, they receive power. Everything God says He does, right? They get the power, they go out into the marketplace, and they begin to preach the gospel, and thousands of people get saved. Isn't it amazing how if we would use the power of the Holy Spirit for what the Holy Spirit was intended for, we get the God-sized results. And, and so it's... I think the icing on the cake is that because I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit, I get this great prayer life and intimacy with God. Because I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit, I get to see miracles happen. My church is enhanced. The services as we worship is enhanced. But God never intended the baptism in the Holy Spirit to be about the upper room. It wasn't about the 120. It was about the 3,000. Amen? See, I'm from the city. I have to, I, we always talk to each other when we preach. But it was about the 3,000. And I love that concept because we get stuck on the 120. It never was about the 120. It was about the 3,000. And so when we work the gospel strategy, then, then people get saved and transformation takes place. When transformation takes place in the book of Acts chapter 2, you have to start a church. You have to start parachurch ministries, but the church is the tool that God chose to, to disciple people. 3,000 people get saved. You've got to have several churches, right? And, and so the church, becomes, the church becomes the vehicle 
rather than the goal. And so when I talk to pastors about multiplication when it comes to church planting, I say, let's not start this dialogue about will you plant a church. Let's start this dialogue as do you have a gospel strategy? Because if you have a gospel strategy, church will be a part of it. And we go from there. Let me give you a for instance. So like when I was in Youngstown, Ohio, um, I was there for 15 years doing parachurch ministry. Uh, and it was a nonprofit, faith-based youth program and children's program. And we had all kinds of different things going on. Seven days a week, 24 hours a day, there was something going on. Well, there was thousands of people getting saved, but that ministry was not designed to disciple them. So what am I supposed to do with these people? Well, we started a church. It was even in another building. It wasn't even in the same building. And, and because we did the gospel strategy, people say, well, how did you grow that church? In the middle of the inner city where nobody really wants to go to you know, drive in from the suburbs, just the people that live there. And, and I said, well, we, the church was necessary because the gospel strategy was happening. So it just happened natural. Our goal wasn't to plant a church. Our goal was to reach lost people. The we realized if we were going to reach lost people, we had to plant five churches, not just one. So does that make sense? So that's multiplication. So uh, that's, that's a little bit of how it flowed in the book of Acts. So you get to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. The spreading of the gospel led to the starting of new churches. And, and now, they're, now, because all this stuff's taking place, meeting house to house, uh, you know everything that goes on in verses 42 through 47, they had to organize and they had to start churches. But then these churches, it, it doesn't stop there. Because God is not just in the business of redeeming people. He is in the business of redeeming the culture, redeeming communities. So God expects every church, just like He expects every person to be a witness, He expects every church to bring transformation, redemption to their community. This is where ministry gets really fun. I mean, it just simply gets fun. And so if you go to Acts chapter 19, we won't, we won't go there today and turn there. But here you got the city of Ephesus. Paul gets to Ephesus, he preaches the gospel, people start getting saved, and there was such an outpouring of, and he did it daily, he even got kicked out of the synagogues, I mean, there was some bad stuff going on, like, there were guys trying to preach the gospel that, that weren't even Christians, the seven sons of Sceva, I believe, are in that chapter, and they got their tail whooped, and they got stripped naked, and ran around, and got embarrassed, all kinds of weird stuff, may, you know, it's sloppy sometimes when you're working a gospel strategy, but nevertheless, thousands of people were getting saved, and here's the cool thing, the community changed, the Bible says, like, the people that were involved in witchcraft and idolatry were bringing their, were bringing their paraphernalia and, and bringing it and giving it up, and they burned it and melted it down and earned a bunch of money from it. So they, they actually earned money to do the gospel strategy by preaching the gospel. That's pretty cool. When the sinners get saved and they finance the rest of the work. And this whole community was being changed in Acts chapter 19 because there was a gospel strategy, and, God, and, and Paul started one of the strongest churches there, right? The church of Ephesus, and, and it went on from there. Amen? So here's what I want to talk about when it comes to multiplication. And I, if you're a pastor or, 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 or not a lead pastor, maybe you're just on staff or a lay person, you could still, I want you to still think about this, because I want you to go over it with your lead pastor or people in your church. Let's talk about how to create a gospel strategy. So when I sit down with pastors, I say, let's aim for four or five different ways that you want to impact people with the gospel. So 
I just did a class on evangelism. You were in that. Anybody in that class? We just did a class. Okay. So in that class, you heard like a, you were like drinking from a fire hose. We had people talk about each one reach one. Okay. So if you took a church of 100 people and you trained your people in relational evangelism, you said over the next 365 days, I want you to make it your goal to take one person and just love on them, pray for them, build relationship with them. By the end of the year, I want you to lead them to Jesus. In the name of Jesus, God's going to help you. 365 days. I don't know how many touches it takes, but if every person in this church would reach just one person with the gospel, that's 100 people. That's 100 people. And let's say we have small groups in our church. And let's say in, in our small groups, there are about 10 people, and we have five small groups. So five small groups of 10. And what we're going to ask every one of those small groups to do is to get 10 people, every person in that group, try to get 10 new people to come to that small group. And small group leader, I want you to make sure you preach the gospel at least once a month somewhere in that teaching. So five people, I mean, this is recruit 10 people, and that's 50 people hear the gospel. All right? And let's say maybe your church does outreaches. Well, your church, all churches should do some type of community outreach. If you did just three outreaches a year, it could be an Easter outreach, a Christmas outreach, a fall outreach, a summer outreach, whatever you want to do, could be VBS. And let's say at each outreach you impacted 200 people. That's 600. And then maybe choose like three Sundays a year that you're going to do a special we, we used to call it big day, evangelism day on Sunday, where you have your people, literally, here's what I had people do. Week number one for a week, all I want you to do is put a, a list together of five people that you're going to invite the church over the next month. Pray for those five people. Week two, I want you to go bless them, buy them lunch, take them some coffee, uh, take them out, uh, do, give them a card with a gift card in it, do something to bless them. And then week three, I want you to invite them to our special Sunday and say you have three of those special Sundays and you everybody gets at least one person to come that's 300 more people and then let's say you're involved in the community you're involved in your school system or you're involved in sports or you're involved in the arts and in your involvement in the community the goal is for everybody in the church and their community involvement let's just try to get 50 people that we meet in that to church just just 50 out from the whole church you could see how it can add up. You can do a whole evangelistic contest could could be around a thousand people a year with that formula. And that could be I could have added those up wrong, but is it a thousand or eleven hundred? I don't know. Eleven hundred. That's eleven hundred. That's in one year. Evangelistic. So let's say out of those eleven hundred, ten percent of those people actually make a commitment to Jesus. That's hundred and ten people. It's hundred and ten people. Your church seats two hundred people. You start it with 100, you added 110 in one year. That's 210. What has to happen the third year? You've got to start a second service, right? Let's say you do that again. That's another 110, another 110. At some point, you're going to have to multiply. You're going to have to either build a bigger building or go to a different spot, keep your overhead low, and reach more people for Jesus. Old school would say build the building. But then you've got all this overhead, right? Gospel strategy says reach more people. <laughs> Send somebody out and reach more people. So that's what I mean by gospel strategy. Does that make sense?
So like you can multiply, like I put this together for if you're a church of 300, you can do, you can almost touch 195 people a year, church of 300. Church of 500, you can, you can connect with 675 people a year. And I didn't even, I didn't really inflate some of these numbers like this outreach. I didn't blow these up all that much. Uh, I kept community engagement at 50. I, I wasn't trying to be unrealistic. But that's just the way that, that, that things can happen in your church. So you say, okay, Pastor Al, um, what, just what is a church? I mean, what, how do you define church? So we're talking a little bit about planting churches, multiplying churches. So we, we went to the book of Acts, and as I traced the story that I just described to you in the book of Acts, we came up with seven, seven principles of what a church is. Uh, our team and across the state, people that worship together on a regular basis. Hey, it could be in a coffee shop, right? It could be in a locker room or in, you know, in a school. Uh, a Bible study with young people. Someone challenged me this week. They said, why can't we plant children's churches? And I said, I'm not telling you you can't. Plant them. Children are people. If you're going to meet with children on a regular basis and do a, uh, like a summer Bible school with them, that's, that's, that qualifies. The, not only do we share the word, but we fellowship and we have spiritual community. There's instruction in the word on a regular basis. There's ministry. People are being developed to serve in ministry. Discipleship is taking place. People are becoming spiritually mature. Evangelism is happening. People are sharing their faith. Missions, education, and support. They feel a responsibility for the rest of the world, and they're engaged in making sure the gospel gets there. So that's how we would identify uh, what, just what is a church. And that's how we kind of take a look at it. So the next question, let's take a look at this here. Now, I know I'm focusing in a lot on church multiplication, and uh, I'm doing that because that's my role. But let's try to contextualize it. If you're not necessarily a lead pastor, you can share this vision with your church. So people ask me a question, well, how do I know, Pastor Al, how do we know if we're ready to plant a church. So like if, if I'm a lead pastor or our church is thinking about, hey, we're reaching a lot of lost people, maybe we should multiply and start a church. Or if you are that person looking for a position or you feel like this season, God is calling you to be the lead. Well, we have a website called ohiocmn.org and you can go there. But this brochure kind of summarizes it. And on, on that website, there's, there's some questions on this brochure that talk about if you're a parent church, okay, so say, look at the bottom. If you're a parent church, how do we know if we're ready? Question number one, are you prepared to bring a consistent gospel witness to a new community? That means you're in there consistently doing a gospel strategy. Number two, do you have a releasing culture in your church? Are you prepared to raise up, equip, and send out 10% of your church in order to launch a new church? Now that's where we lose a lot of people. Wait a minute now. If we want to multiply and start a church, you mean to tell me we got to give up tithers? We got to give up our best workers? Well, I don't know. This apple is a good illustration of that. You got to give up something to gain something. But I promise you one thing any sacrifice I ever made, God's going to match it a hundredfold. So, yeah, it may hurt a little bit, but we have to be prepared for that. Talk to a guy like a Conan Stevens who planted many churches over the years. His church continues to grow. And he sends out the best of his sons and daughters. The other thing is about what I call an apostolic capacity. 
Am I as a pastor committed to mentoring, equipping, sending out, and supporting a spiritual-centered daughter to plant a church? Now, that's my word to pastors. But let's say you are, what do you do at the church? Guest services. So let's say that God wants to use you to raise up another person that does what you do, but it's not about what you do, it's about who you are. So you can use your position in guest services to literally raise up a team of people that will go out when a new church is started and you created their guest services ministry and discipled them. That's what multiplication is. Do you have an... But in order to do that, you have to have a father-mother mentality when it comes to discipleship, not just teacher-student. What does Paul say? I believe it's in Corinthians. He says, you have a lot of teachers, but you have not many fathers. And his, and his point is, if we're going to have multiplication, it has to be impartation of information and relationship. It's got to be both. And that's when the gospel gets fun because we're reproducing who God created us to be. So that's some questions. Um, if you're a person thinking about, well, how do I know if I'm supposed to be a church planter or not? There's some questions on this thing that says, okay, you've got to decide what am I called to do? You've got to ask yourself, has God placed a burden in your heart for, for a certain and particular community or people group? Is this the right time? And what do your spiritual mentors or leaders say about your calling? Not that they will always dictate what you can do and what you can't do, but it sure is a good sign if your mentor and your leaders have respect for what God's doing in and through you, um, I think that's going to be a good sign that other people will follow you. Does that make sense? But if your mentor or leader says, okay, I think you need to work on this or that, I think it would be wise to take their, their word of advice and work on it. Yes? That's a process of it. So when you go to our website, there's a process. Where do we start? Yeah. Yeah, you can go to the site, and this site will show you the steps. So, like, if you open this up and, and you go to here, let's go to this thing. So these are the steps. So if you're thinking about planting a church, first you want to have a conversation with your lead pastor. You want to have a conversation with your presbyter. If you're thinking about doing something in Akron, you want to meet with Lance. You want to share your heart with him. But the next thing you're going to do is do an assessment. So we'll set you up with the way of assessing yourself. And it's a, it's a great assessment tool so you know where you're... And, and here's what you've got to think about when it comes to assessments. You're going to have high areas where you're high and areas where you're low. Uh, and so if you're low in certain areas that we think are key areas for planting, we may say delay. Work on this. And, and then once you get there, we'll take the next step. So assessment. And then you've, you know, there's application process. There's going to, to training and, and doing uh, launch training. And we do specialized training also in Ohio. So if you're planting in a rural context, we put you in a rural cohort with Josh Plassance. And he coaches you and trains you. If you're doing an urban context, I got a whole team that does urban church planting. And they're gonna, we're going to do special schools for them uh, and different contexts. So... That's kind of a little bit about our website. There's a video on there that we do that will answer a lot of questions. All right, I'm going to pause for a second before I go on. And I want to ask anybody in this room, can you tell me one way that we define a church based upon what you just heard? This is for a contest. I'm going to give something away now. 
What's one way that you define a church out of those seven ways? Worshiping together. Excellent. So do you want a coffee mug or a shirt? You want a shirt? All right, look at this. Hallelujah. A multiplication shirt for you. Give this guy a round of applause. All right, so there's one gift going. going. I learned this from Lance. I learned this from Lance because uh, he gives things away at his thing. I want to pause and just ask you, do you guys have any questions before I move on? Because I'm going to talk about, I talked a little bit about a gospel strategy. Now I talked about planting a church. I'm not going through all those steps today unless you want me to. And then I'm going to go into community impact in just a second. But do you guys have any questions about planting a church or anything like that before I move on? Yes. The church that you're at? Yeah, I, that was brought up. Like, is that a good idea? Or? Okay, let me, let me ask people in this room who've done that. Who've done that? Lance? <laughs> Give him some advice. So you got to be able to answer that. And I said, how did, you, how did you come down? We just voted. So there was no, this is our heart, this is our DNA, this is who we want to be in our community, this is what we want to be known for. That inspired this. It was just a random vote, yes. Right, like a church name generator. And then I would say, if, if that's the process, I would say don't change your name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if that's a part of your vision, your mission, then yes. Uh, church, church name isn't nearly as important as in the culture of the church and who you are, your DNA. Building the original name. And I. But that's great advice. Now let me tell you, on the other, other end of the spectrum. Uh, when I launched my church, I did it from a church that had died. And they had like 10 people left, so we relaunched and had a new name. Our reason for that was not just what Lance said, but the name that we named it had a better reputation in the community. So that name was injured in the community, so it needed to go. Does that make sense? Okay. So really pray about that. But I think it's more about the people buying in. that That's what we want to be and not just be called. So that's good. <laughs> uh, anybody else got a question about church? There, I did not cover a whole lot because I didn't. I don't see like a whole lot of people that. Uh, if you told me, hey, that's what we want to talk about, I'll dig in right now and talk about church multiplication. But what I will tell you is, our website will take you step by step. And on our website, um, if even if you're just you know you're you're a church that's existed and you've been around and you want to sharpen up. There's a tab on our website that's called Resources, and you can hit that tab, and we have a ton of free resources and websites that you can go to 
for a lot of different things. So like uh, any, you want information on church tax and law, insurance, IRS issues, and then you can go to things like, um, uh, oh, I don't have the rest on there. You can go to things like financial stuff. You can go to things like building websites, graphic things, all kinds of free software that's cutting edge. Uh, we have listed on our website in there, so I want to show you that. Okay, yes? Yeah. Right. Right. There is, and here's how I would respond to that. Um, there is, but it depends on the model. Okay. So, like, I I happen to believe that different models work differently, but the baseline is most most of the church multiplication guys that work, especially in a suburban area. It's plant, you want to have a core team of at least 30 to 50 people. If you can get 50, that's critical mass. Uh, most of those guys want to launch with the core team of 100, but that's not always possible. And, uh, you know, $25,000 saved up. And, and what you got to understand is if you can get, raise 25, and that's in tithe potential. So not that you have it in the bank, but if you got 50 people who are tithing and that equals 25,000, you're there. There's grants available through our office, which are grant you don't pay back. It's a gift. And then there's the matching funds that are available through CMN. So if you can come up with $25,000, you can possibly get 20 grand from us on a grant and a matching grant for 25 to, I think, up to 50. That's a, that's a loan from CMN. So that's a nice launch there. Now, People in rural America can do it for a lot less. Overhead is cheaper. Um, buildings are, like I got a guy who pays $100 a month, I think, for his building in a rural area. And he's just not, he, he, he yeah, yeah. <laughs> what it is, is that it's a community center that isn't interested in making money. They just want a church in the building, but give us some money to pay the utilities. Yeah, farmer yeah. animals out every time. Right. In, in my, yeah, <laughs> in my, I'm coming back. I got to digest what you just said. But anyways, in an in a urban context, the YMCA has literally called me and said, look, we're trying to put C back into our, our name, Christian, and we want to start planting churches. That's part of our strategy. So if you can find guys that will commit to being in our building for five years, 250 a month, that's what they're going for, a month, using a YMCA with hundreds of people coming through the doors, Right? That's a deal, man. So there's certain settings, you know, but if you go in urban core, I mean, my urban core guys are paying thousands of dollars rent. Uh, suburban guys are paying a lot of money. So that's, that's the, so um, I would just say this, like Josh Plassant, I mean, he can, he can launch a church with 30 people, $10,000, and it could be a healthy church. We'll match it, of course, give them 20, and they get things rolling. But, as a baseline, that's what you want to aim for. Sound good? Okay. Anybody else? I mean, we can go. We can stay here for a minute. I mean, I don't have a problem with that. I just really want to make sure that we're not afraid to multiply 
just because we hear numbers. <laughs> God can multiply anything. And I'm going to get to that at the very end. Yes? Um, in your view, what's the best way of dealing with the pain? You talked about splitting the apple as painful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's I think it's teaching, time, and uh, I wish I had another T, but <laughs> triumph. Um, them experiencing wins. Okay, so like when you're in a culture and and you're talking with like every year at my church, I I, I planted an inner city church. We started with ten people, and I doubled it the first week. And believe me, I called in those things because I had I have eight people in my family. So just by bringing my family to church, I doubled the church size. Thank you very much. <laughs> but uh, so that gave us about 20. Um, but my, my point is, when we grew to 150, I was already preaching at 100 that God wanted us to multiply to every part of town. It took me five years to get that in their head. Uh, so, but you got to get a pastor head to their spirit. And so we pray that way. And every year when I laid out vision, I talked about multiplying. And it's going to be in God's time. I didn't force it, but they heard it for five years consistently. So that's the time. But when they see people getting saved and they see the building getting full, you know, and then and then they see people like you, which is a key ministry, reproducing other people. Then they start to think, well, we got all these musicians in a church of 100. What are we going to do with them? We got all these volunteers. We got all these youth workers, children's workers as a miracle. Um, and then it's not as painful. But it's still going to hurt. Because if you don't get critical mass, then those people do represent funds. They represent time. So you got to make sure you're at critical mass. you got to be wise. Consistent teaching. And, but man, when they start to see those wins, they trust, they trust the pastor. So does that help? Yeah, right, right. So, yeah, I guess I'm just asking about, like, the people who leave, dealing with yeah. being gone back, back at the home campus, it can be difficult. But. Well, yeah, and I, here's an answer, because I did this when I left my church, is I, I told them, I, I want you to leave the way I left. I did not leave our church without a pastor. <laughs> you know, I really set them up with, our interim became our pastor, because I had such good relationship but ask them, if they're planning on leaving, reproduce yourself. I mean, let's work this, each one reach one, at least when a disciple. In other words, you know, before you go yeah, plant. Before you go plant yourself. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, what are you leaving behind? Now, let's talk about those tools, too. So, I would tell every, if you're going to replace yourself, and you're going to replace yourself, and you're going to replace, you've got to have a strategy to that, just like you have a gospel strategy. So, I can give you some ideas on how to do that. I can connect you with some of our multipliers, and they tell you how they do an apprenticeship, and they mentor people. Um, but there's also, if you're a lead pastor, there's a site that CMN just started, 
and it's called I Want to Multiply a Church. So uh, if you want to plant a church, you can go to one site and they'll give you some great resources. But if you want to be a multiplier, start another church and you're a parent, gives you timelines, gives you resources, gives you steps. Uh, and then you can get with some of these guys like Chris Beard, Conan, Stevens, and they'll tell you, okay, when I get a guy or a gal who I think has got the tools, this is what I do with them. And they'll show you their strategy. Does that help? Okay, so that's, any, anything else on that? Because that's what I do. I want to make sure I'm answering questions. Um, but I just really think if we start with gospel strategy, we need a church, <laughs> let's do it right, let's multiply. But let's not stop there, because I, now, Al Yano tells it straight. That's just the way it is. We're not here to, to, to multiply a franchise. <laughs> Are you hearing me? We're not here to multiply our brand. We're here to multiply the kingdom. So if the community, I don't care how many car stickers, bumper stickers there are, or signs there are, or t-shirts there are about your church with the logo on it. I want to know, is the, the seal of the Holy Spirit over people's hearts? And is it making a difference in your, is your community a better place because your church is there? So that, that's what I want to hit as we close. We're closing, aren't we? Uh, I want to hit on community impact real quick. Three levels of strategy. So those that were in my last class, these are some of the types of churches. I'm going to categorize what we just talked about. Most churches, uh, when it comes to community transformation, they do what I call blessing their community. And it's basically for the purpose of making sure the community knows who they are, introducing the church to the community. And that's really important. If you're going to launch a church, you've got to do pre-launch things. If you're going to have a healthy church, you've got to do gospel strategy. And these are kind of events that are designed to bring people to your building, like trunk or treat, stuff like that, egg hunt, you know, um, family days, things that bring people to your building. That gives your church an identity. They know who you are. They know, they know that you're a place that's quality for their family. But I want you to think about the next level, which I call pastoring your community. That's when your church kind of shifts from inviting the community to your church to taking your church to the community. It's a shift that takes place, and you become engaged and involved in the life of the community. What happens here is now you move from having an identity to having influence, and influence is powerful. So, like, uh, you're, you're getting involved in the schools, and you're getting involved in, in sports, and, and you're getting involved. I, I asked the question, where is life lived in your community? And where are the biggest problems in your community? You pick two or three of those things and get engaged. So if it's sports or school, or, or if it's the opioid crisis, or if it's single moms that need mentors in their lives, or if it's foster care, or whatever it is, get involved in in those areas and you begin to pastor and influence your community but something takes place if you do this consistently and that's what i call revitalizing your community this happens when the community starts to look to you for leadership so our church i'll just give you for instance in the city our church was in a very crime-ridden area uh, there were lots of kids lots of crime and lots of blight you, know, you guys know what blight is? So like boarded up houses, boarded up buildings. So that's a bad combination. 
And so we said, okay, we're going to engage with the blight. We're going to build community gardens. Um, we're going to clean up trashed out neighborhoods. We're going to get involved in the schools. We're going to do after school programs. We're going to do uh, Bible uh, clubs in the schools. And we're going to get involved in the, the crime issue. We're going to start block watches. And we put together this community development plan to impact our community. So our identity was already there. They knew who we were from our outreaches, our block parties. Our influence was already there. We were already involved in a community. We were, we were pastoring the community. We were in the schools. But we put this plan together to become, to become the agent that God would use to revitalize the community. It, wouldn't that be cool if the community would come to the church and say, hey, what's a strategic plan to develop and revitalize our community? Church, do you have any ideas? So we wrote this plan, and I, and I actually went to the mayor with it. And uh, the mayor was running for office at the time, and he says, I tell you what, preacher, you guys have been so involved in the schools. You've been such a blessing to the community with your outreaches. This is a high crime area. You've cleaned up the neighborhoods. You raised the money to put the community gardens in. This street looks better because your church is here. If I become mayor, what would you like to see happen? <laughs> now, that's when you have influence. And, you know, we're a church of 150 people. It's not like we're this huge church. And so I put that plan right on his desk. I said, we want to see these businesses boarded up and moved out. we got too many bars. We want to see these houses torn down. We want some community gardens here. We want more policing. We want you to invest money in the school that's in this neighborhood, and blah, blah, blah. And here's what we're willing to do. That mayor said, okay, how much money do you need for that? I kid you not. I just threw it out there. I, I just said $500,000. And... He said, well, that's going to be a little challenging. But he hired a development agency to write a grant, and they got a federal grant for $500,000. <laughs> and the grant was for crime in our neighborhood. So the whole grant, here, here was the plan of the grant. Tear down buildings that need to be torn down. Rebuild on, rebuild on the land, community gardens. Work with the school in that neighborhood. And empower the church to do programs for the kids. Wow. wow I could I and I listen don't ask me to write a book about it because I have no clue all I know is this strategy works <laughs> that God wants a church in a community to redeem a community those people don't care about our brand they care about our Lord and Savior and so um, that's community impact so I want to say this in closing in close you know what that means right yeah. What, what time is it? Is this it? This is your second. You got six. <laughs> I got six minutes. Come on now. All right. I'm going to give this to Tiffany because she just, she just gave me permission. Here you go, Tiffany. <laughs> so Matthew chapter 13, real quick. Will somebody turn to Matthew 13? Um, it's the story of the sower and the seed. We're not going to read it. We don't have time. But here's the story of the sower and the seed. Three things I want you to catch. Number one. Uh, oh, this is three questions already. I always ask when it comes to community transformation. Greatest needs, where does life take place, and how does your church make a difference? Sowing seeds. Don't get discouraged by the amount of sowing it takes to multiply. That's what we were just talking about, right? Don't get discouraged by the amount of sowing it takes to multiply. Let me tell you this real quick. Anyone ever been to Israel before? I went to Israel last year. So it made my, this whole parable change for me. Israel was, when they were given the land that they were given from Palestine, they gave him the worst of the worst. Total desert. 
And wherever there was grass and dirt, there were rocks everywhere. I don't even know if I got a picture of it. I don't think I do. Let me see. Oh, there it is. Rocks everywhere. They created crops and, and uh, a whole system to create, um, uh, um, be able to raise money from products and crops that came from that rocky soil. Basically, they just sowed seed. And they sowed seed. And they, sowed, and they created an irrigation system. There, it was impossible to move all the rocks. There's no way you can move all the rocks. But you've got these beautiful fruit farms right in the middle of the desert where there's rocks everywhere. You've got to sow a lot of seed if you want to see seed produce fruit. Can I get a witness on that? Okay, number two, significance. Don't underestimate the significance of small. So Lance and I had that discussion about where do you got, you know, what's the baseline? But God can do a lot with small. He could do a lot with small. Five loaves, or is it five loaves and two fish, right? He, he can do a lot with small. And then secondly, size. Don't define your multiplication by someone else's. That story ends with what? 50-fold or 25-fold, 50-fold, 100-fold. My multiplication and your multiplication, Rodney, are two different things. I lived 10, 15 years always comparing myself to the big church in town. And until one day the pastor of the big church in town said, look at me. It's not about numbers, it's about impact. If your church of 150 people is able to write the script for your whole neighborhood and the mayor goes by it, that's just as valuable as my church of 1,000 people. Does that make sense? Don't measure your multiplication by someone else's. And so I just kind of want to end, end with that there. Sound good? So I just want to pray a prayer of blessing over you guys. Any comments you'd like to make or anything like that? I'll be taking an offering after. And uh, now you guys are awesome. Can we spread the message of the gospel strategy, the principle of multiplication, and, and understanding the proper way to view that? Amen?